when I was in elementary school, I was absolutely obsessed with ice hockey. I thought I'd get one amen. Maybe there's not a hockey player in the room. Oh. Specifically, there was our little hometown hockey team called the Tulsa Oilers. They were a little, they can't even call them a farm team. They were less than that. But man, did we love them. I mean, for 12 bucks, you could go in and watch a, a hockey game on Saturday night in the winter. And it was just, it was so, so fun. They played teams around us like Wichita, Kansas, and Dallas. And of course, our biggest rival was right there in Oklahoma City, the Blazers. And my favorite player was the goalie. When I played roller hockey, I loved to play goalie. When I got into ice hockey, I couldn't afford that kind of equipment, so I just decided to, to play forward. But this goalie, his name was Tony Martino, and I thought he was amazing, and he probably was for that league, and he even got called up to a, to a higher league at some point. But, you know, as a 12-year-old kid, I mean, this guy was, man, I just wanted to save like him. He had a great glove, and, man, I was just... Everything about it. And every game, we would go down to, the, to where they would go through the tunnel. And me and my best friend, Clint, we'd, we just, we loved, we loved going to these games together. And we would yell down to our favorite player and be like, hey, Tony, can I have your stick? You know. And every now and then, he'd raise it up, and then he'd slide it down his hand just to mess with me. And uh, my best friend, Clint, his, his favorite player was Mike Berger. Yeah, very Canadian. And he actually played in the NHL. And I remember one time, Clint yelled out, hey, Mike, can I have your stick? And he raised it up, and he gave it to him. And so I just was, oh, I was so jealous because he had Mike Berger's stick, and he got it signed and everything. And I just wanted Tony's stick so bad. And as, as um, you know, as life goes on, <laughs> there was a, a time where my dad uh, was buying a car. And we went to the dealership, and that dealership specifically was a sponsor for the Tulsa Oilers. So on the wall, they had pictures that were signed. They had jerseys. They even had sticks. And, you know, I'm just sitting there just looking. I was like, oh, yeah, I've met him, and I met him, and I met him, and I got his autograph and all these things. And the, the car salesman, as car salesmen do, they say, oh, you, you like the Tulsa Oilers? Oh, yeah, man, yeah. Who's your favorite player? Tony Martino, number 35. He's like, oh, yeah, Tony and I are good friends. Oh. <sighs> No. Oh, yeah, we had dinner just the other night. What? You got to eat dinner with Tony Martino? I mean, come on, as a 12-year-old kid, that's pretty cool. He said, you know, I could get you one of Tony's sticks. You have my attention. Seriously? Yeah, Totally. Next time I'm with Tony, I'll, I'll get a stick from him, and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that you get it. Awesome. I was so excited. I had to go to school and tell all my friends that I was going to get a stick of Tony Martino's. But when we went to go pick up the car, that salesman was nowhere to be found. He was gone, and I didn't get my stick. And my dad just turned to me, and he said, this is a pretty pretty good lesson for you. Sometimes people just don't keep their word. 
and it's part of life. We've all had experiences similar. The overpromise and underdeliver is what I call it. People that will promise you the world, but they just don't follow through. And whether we've been let down or, let's be honest, we've let others down, let's not always point the finger, but recognize that we too have probably done the overpromise and underliver. I know that we can relate to being let down. Now, I also know that we have all set out to achieve goals. Here's my disclaimer for the day. We've all set out to achieve a goal, to complete a project, to start our own business, whatever the case is, and life just happens. Circumstances change. The intentions were good, and if all went to plan, we would have been able to follow through and have a success. And so I'm not giving us a pass necessarily, but I am saying, look, if there was a good intention, you were not out to deceive someone, but you truly were trying to accomplish what it is that you said you were trying to accomplish, and something derailed that, I think that there's grace that needs to be given in circumstances like that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about something different. And so I invite you today to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we take a look at the next part on the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, of what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He had basically said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And now he's going after the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. How did they receive their righteousness? Or how did they achieve their righteousness? was by keeping the law and the prophets. And that's how they determined whether or not they were good or they were bad, things like that. Jesus was saying you had to be better. And the only way that we get righteousness that's better than that is to get it from the one who is righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. He gives us his righteousness. We get to live in that righteousness. But then he goes on to kind of prove some points here that those of us that try to achieve righteousness on our own strength, you're really not going to get there. And so he goes on to establish that what is going on in the heart. And that's what we've been talking about. As Jesus talks about not just the letter of the law, he talks about the spirit of the law, and he goes at it with this one. Again, we've talked about anger, we've talked about lust, we've talked about divorce and marriage, we've talked about all these things and the standard in which Jesus gives to us and the righteousness that he gives for us to live it out. And it doesn't change here. We're going to talk about the idea of oaths, promises. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word here and we read these verses, we ask that you would speak to us just as if we were sitting there on that mount listening to your words. May we picture it, hearing you say these things, and may your spirit bring these things to our hearts and our lives that we may live it the way that you've given us the power to live it and the freedom to live it. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would anoint my lips and my mind, that the words that I speak would be from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here is what Jesus says. He says, again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, 
You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, let's stop for a moment. Jesus loves to do this. He loves to talk about what was normal in the culture, and then he's getting ready to flip it upside down. But this is, this is the thing that we need to understand. Oaths were important to God's people. In fact, God had made oaths to people. We call them covenants. But with God, his covenant is always true, right? He's never going to break a covenant that he makes with his people. And so the oaths that he, he made were never going to be broken. And in that, they believed that because God had made oaths, that they too should make oaths. And some of those oaths were to God. They were called uh, different types of offerings, like a vow and, and things like that. Uh, but, but we also have how they made oaths with other people. So they, they looked at the Old Testament, or we, they don't call it that, we call it that, but they looked at the law and the prophets, they looked at all those things, and they permitted a person to swear by the name of God to substantiate an important affirmation or promise. This helped them keep it and keep it true. We can find various cases in, in the law in Leviticus 19, Numbers chapter 30. It talked about that if you make a vow under God, then you need to keep it. But of course, people back then had to find the loopholes in the law. What they had permitted, what they allowed, they wanted to try to figure out what they could do to get around it. And so there were times that they would make an oath or a promise to someone, and instead of saying, I promise unto God, or I swear to God, or I oath unto God, whatever it is that they said, they would then say, well, I swear by the heavens, or I swear by the earth, or I swear in the temple, where the temple of the rock, right there, I mean, this was, that was such a big deal, you talk, swear by Jerusalem, swear by the temple that was such a big deal to them, they would swear in those things. And we hear things like this today. People will say things like, I swear on my grandmother's grave, right? Or I swear on the Bible, put your hand on it. Now, if you're raised in the church, you're raised in Adventism, you're raised, you know, even, it doesn't matter, you're probably taught not to swear, right? And I'm not talking about profanity. We're taught that too. That's not at all what we're talking about today. But how many of you were taught that we don't do that? We don't swear. Like, I don't swear on something. Right? Yeah, because that's what Jesus is getting ready to say. So we have found our little workarounds. We've even found our own little loopholes, right? How many of you guys remember the pinky promise? Yeah. You know, you turn it around and say, yeah, 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 and then say, pinky promise me. And that pinky promise was a big deal when you were a little kid, right? Pro you know, you, you promise you won't tell anybody? I promise you pinky swear. <laughs> pinky promise, Right? What about, uh, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You remember that one? You see what we do? We are just as bad as them. They would say, oh, by the heavens or by the earth or by the temple, whatever. And we come up with our own little phrases. And here's my personal favorite of all time. Are you ready for it? Well, to be completely honest with you. Red flag, red flag. Wait, you'd be like, so you were planning not to be completely honest with me? Is that what you're saying? Like, you were going to go one way, but some way you just decided now's the time to be honest? Come on. 
we pull out this different language of, of being able to go around this whole thing. But here it is. Here's what Jesus responds to all of this. He says, You've heard that it was said that you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Maybe yours says, do not swear at all. I like that it says the oath because a lot of times we will look at that and talk about, well, Jesus says that we shouldn't have profanity coming out of our mouth. Yes, you should not have profanity coming out of your mouth. As a Christian, that's not a good example, right? But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this oath or a promise. He says, you should not have to swear at all. You shouldn't have to say, pinky promise me, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You shouldn't have to say, I swear by the heavens, I swear by the earth. You shouldn't have to say all that. He then goes on to explain that anything you try to swear by is his anyways, right? Like, you think that they're less important by saying the, the sky or the earth or whatever. But here's what he goes on to say. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So he said, anything you try to say is less significant? God created that, it's his. So it is significant. So that's why you shouldn't do it at all. And then he says, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You can't control it. You can't, I mean. And then he gets to 37. I think it's the heart of the point of this. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yours, yours probably says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he, go, he adds that thing at the end. Anything more than this comes from evil. I get the sense that Jesus really isn't so concerned about the whole oaths thing. I think he's concerned with the whole honesty and integrity thing. An oath is an oath, right? I mean, you, we sign contracts. We sign mortgages. We sign all that stuff that says that we are going to pay or whatever. That, that part is not exactly what Jesus is getting at. He's talking about the deceptive nature of the human heart that wants to say something this way so that they may, we may look better to other people or that we don't get in trouble, and so we're not honest. Listen to this. I think this is so important. Jesus' disciples, that's you and me, by the way, should be people of such integrity, of character and truthfulness of heart, that whatever they say, whatever you say, whatever I say, is absolutely believable, and dependable. A person of integrity is one who in daily conversation is so truthful, dependable, genuine, without deceit, and reliable that his or her words are believed without an oath. Truthful, dependable, genuine, without deceit, 
and reliable. Whew. I'm not sure if I need to remind you of this today, but I'm going to. (laughs) Not speaking the truth is evil. Lying is evil. Gossip is evil. You with me? I hope so. Christians in the church don't really want to talk about gossip because you know what? If it's true, it's true. Uh 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 uh. I have to remind us because what Jesus is getting after in this whole thing, again, I want followers, disciples who are full of integrity. I want disciples who are full of honesty. And the words that come out of your mouth should be truthful and reliable. This is the, the, the point in which Jesus is making. Because think about it. What they were doing is they were, they were promising this and promising that. So what? That they would look good? And in essence, they were being dishonest. They were not full of integrity. Remember in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. And here's one for you. You ready for this one? One who sows discord among brothers. Reminder done. Let's get back to what Jesus is talking about. Integrity. Honesty. Doing what you say you will do. And also the things that you're saying are reliable. I begin to question, why do we lie? You got the reminder, I got the reminder, I mean this is very pointed here, that, that God doesn't like lying, he tells us not to be a false witness, but why is it that we lie? Well, probably the same reason that we hate and probably the same reason that we lust and probably the same reason that, we, that we're, we're just messing with our, our, our marriage or whatever, it's because there's something going on in the heart. <laughs> and we've talked about that Christ frees us and gives us victory. So why in the world would we remain in this lying heart? Why would we hang on to that? And I think it comes down to one thing. One core thing, fear. Think about it. As a kid, why would you lie? So you wouldn't get in trouble. How many times, you know, sitting there chewing gum and your teacher says, do you have gum? Mm -mm. Or... No. Mm-mm. <laughs> because we don't want to get in trouble. You know, what did you just do? Nothing. Did you do that? Uh-uh. <laughs> we have the fear of getting in trouble. And I don't think a whole lot has changed as we grow up. 
It may not be so much the fear of getting in trouble, although there may be some of it. There may be things that you would like to do, but you don't because you have the fear of getting in trouble or you're, you don't fear of getting caught, whatever the case is. But the fear of getting in trouble, I think that we have the same thing. We have the fear of getting caught. We have the fear of being rejected. We have the fear of not being accepted. We have the fear that they won't love me anymore. So we pretend that everything is fine. We put on the best smile and we say, happy Sabbath. We, we don't want people to think there's anything wrong with me. We don't want people to think that I'm struggling with anything. When, when, when we talk about various things, we talk about the very best things that we're doing so that we can try to show to other people that I got my life together. Now, in Christ, we can have our life together, but that doesn't mean we don't have challenges. That doesn't mean that we don't have rifts with other people. It doesn't mean that all things are going to be perfect in our life. But we also need to understand that Jesus is the one that gives us victory. He's the one that's with us. And with that reminder, I have to tell you, you don't lack anything in Jesus. I'm going to say it again. You don't lack anything in Jesus. Jesus has given you everything that you need. Jesus has given you forgiveness. He's given you his righteousness. He's given his acceptance. He's, a, he's given you his approval. You don't have to find your approval and your love and acceptance from anyone else. So you have no reason to fear and you have no reason to be dishonest. Don't fear it. Live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. You really think about this, the idea that that you and I, when we are, are fearful that someone is going to reject us or we're fearful that someone is not going to love us anymore, with that fear, we make some really bad choices. And from those choices, we could end up not being honest. We're not honest with them. We're not honest with ourselves. And we're not really honest with God. And do you really think that God's going to be like, ha, you got me. Like, he knows our hearts. He knows what, he knows it. So why not accept his love and his righteousness within our hearts to eliminate that fear because God is not a God of fear. Instead, we live out of the abundance of, of what God has given to us. I know that, that this is not an easy thing because it's, sometimes it's become a habit. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Well, let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you. And we could say, oh, um, let's, pray about, let's pray about sister so-and-so. You know why? Because what are we looking for? Do we want people to think that I'm on the in and I've got all the information, so they keep me close? What, what's, what's the point of that? Am I saying it so that I look better and they look worse? Am I saying it so that we can all look better and they can look worse? I mean, come on. That's not Christianity. That's the way of the world. And that's not what God has called us to be. If we live out of the abundance of his love and his mercy and his righteousness, then what we say, what comes out of our mouth should be completely different than what the world has. Right? 
Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've been studying your Sabbath school lesson, Ephesians has been an incredible study. And if you haven't, go back and start over. Just start it from the beginning. This Sabbath school lesson has been so, so good. But I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk a minute about what Paul has to say about those who are in a new life. We're looking at starting in verse 17. My Bible entitles this one, The New Life. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Remember, we talked about hardness of heart, didn't we, and what it does. But God gives us a new heart, praise the Lord. So he's, he's basically saying there's the world, right? I mean, that's kind of what Gentiles were considered, what we would say the world. And he says, don't walk in the same way that you were, as the way that the world walks. Because worldliness, I mean, that's just, they're, they're ignorant of what God can do in their life. And it's really the ignorance isn't because God isn't revealing it to them, it's because of the hardness of heart and not receiving the heart of flesh that is promised in the new covenant. They have become callous, in verse 19, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But listen to this, verse 20, talking to you, talking to me, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Woo, come on now, church. That's not the way you learned Christ. Christ is not about this way of living. And so he goes on. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and what? Holiness. Listen to this, church. This is so exciting because what Paul is getting at is saying, look, you know how you were, but now that you're in Christ, this is your new life. You put off the old self. You put off that and you put on the new self. And that new self is in Jesus Christ. And that new self is righteous and holy. Come on, church. You know why? Because Jesus is righteous and holy. And in his death, he says, here, I give it to you. Now you get to live in my righteousness. You get to live in my holiness. Oh, but pastor, I just just can't get it. No, you receive it. And you live it in him. This is not about you trying to to earn your way into God's favor. This is about you accepting the favor that he's already given you. So he says, put off the old self. Put on the new self. And the new self, he says, is created after the likeness of God. You are created in the likeness of God. True righteousness and holiness. I'm not making this up. Verse 25, therefore, gotta love Paul's therefores. 
Because he's building, right? And because you put off the old self, and you put on the new self, and you live in his holiness, and you live in his righteousness, this is what he says, having put away falsehood, that's your old self, by the way, that's all the old, yucky world stuff, you've put away that falsehood. Here's what he says your new life is. And I have to preface it with this. This is not advice. This is not Paul's way of saying, here's what you should do. This is what Paul is saying, when you put on Jesus, when you've accepted him, and you put on his holiness and righteousness, this is how your life changes, okay? This is the fruit of Jesus living in you. So this is what he says. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Oftentimes when we see that, we talk about, well, I need to go tell somebody the truth. No, it's telling you to be honest, to have integrity. That when you speak with your brother or sister in Christ or out in the world, whatever, that you are honest. How many of you guys have ever been burned by a Christian business contractor? I remember, I, I mean, I can't say that I've specifically dealt with this. I have, I have one or two times. Um, but I remember my dad in his practice, where someone would come in and they were, they were, they were a street preacher and they were, uh, they were a Christian and they, you know, you can trust me, doc, you can trust me. I, I'm a Christian just like you, brother. Uh, they, were the only, they were always the one that never paid their bill. They, were the old, old, they always just grifted and left. They used God as an oath and then they jumped out. Those of us that are true disciples of Jesus will be truthful and honest. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. If we say we're going to pay something, we're going to pay it. Everything that I say is going to be truthful with somebody else. He continues on. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We've talked about anger already. We've, we've, we've hit that pretty hard. But he is just saying, like, let's, let's deal with this and let's forgive and let's move forward. Let's not take this anger with us because anger, your version may say, gives a foothold to the devil, right? And then we, we move on. Let the thief no longer steal. See, that's what you were. That was your old self. You were a thief in your old self, but in Christ, you're no longer that. And this is what it says. So instead of stealing, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He says your old self would take because you're selfish, but now you're generous and you're going to go out and work and you're going to be honest and you're going to help those people in need rather than steal from those who you think have so much. It changes. Your life changes in every way. Your, your, your mouth starts to speak truth. Your anger begins to dissolve in Christ. You don't let the devil hang out in your heart through that anger. You're no longer going to steal. You're going to do honest work. You're going to share it with somebody else. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such. Listen to this. This is so good. But only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
These are the things that are supposed to be coming out of our mouths as a Christian, as someone that's new in Christ. Old self is gone. My old self was critical. My old self used to tell people exactly what I wanted to tell them. What was on, you know, don't you know you inconsiderate? That was my old self. But in my new self, what God has done is now to have words that are uplifting, that build each other up and give grace to all those who hear. Our mouths are different now in Christ. Continue on verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Oh, powerful. But I also want us to point out that this verse cannot just be taken out of context and thrown someplace else. You know, you can't just be like, oh, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, in the context, how would you grieve the Holy Spirit? In the context of grieving the Holy Spirit, this is what it looks like. Me thinking that I'm still in my old self. I'd be grieving the Holy Spirit if I go back to that old way of living. But remember, I'm in Christ. I put on something new. And so when I speak ill at someone, towards someone, I gossip about them, I'm not being honest, I'm not being truthful, I have anger in my heart, all these things. If I have corruptible talk coming out of my mouth, I am grieving the Holy Spirit because I'm no longer living in the new life that Jesus has given me. Don't go back to that. Why would you want to go from ultimate freedom in Christ back to when you were slave to a sin? Why would we do that? It only brought hurt, it brought shame, it brought lies. It brings all kinds of of animosity towards each other. That's not the way Christ wants us to live with one another. So he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do you think Paul's being clear here? This is what it's like to live in Christ. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If Christ's love and forgiveness and righteousness is in you because you are a new person and you are righteous and holy in Jesus Christ, then we should live the way Christ lives in us. If there's a disconnect, John talks about this. If you say you're in the light but you hate your brother, you're not really in the light. You're not, you, know, you can't just claim it. <laughs> there's, there is something that has to be transformed in our life. But it's not me trying harder. It's me receiving it and trusting and believing that it's true. Do you believe God's word? Yes or no? If we believe God's word... We believe that we are a new creation in Christ. And a new creation in Christ lives according to the way God's word tells us that we're going to live. He tells us what life was before Christ and tells us what life is like with Christ. I believe that the words we speak are just as important as the actions that we do. We had a lot of people in Scripture that knew the actions and the behaviors. 
but their mouths were disgusting. And I will tell you this, that Christians today have the very similar characteristics at times. That we know what we're supposed to do and we do it. You know, we go to church, we give tithe, we make sure it's on Saturday, not Sunday. You know, we, we, we give, you know, all those things. But our mouths are disgusting. And there's a disconnect there. So maybe we've just adhered to the rules, but we haven't truly allowed Christ to fill our hearts. We haven't really surrendered. We haven't really received it. Because fruit that is produced from the Spirit is love and joy and peace, not criticism, not gossip, not lies, not dishonesty, not deceit. It doesn't sow discord among the brethren. Jesus changes our hearts. The words we speak are just as important as our actions. Why? Because it all starts in the heart. If I'm saying nasty things, it's because my heart is not converted. It's not transformed. Yeah, I have not received it. I've just adhered to the principles of Christianity. But I haven't truly received it. Because Jesus is the one that gives us integrity. Jesus is the one that gives us honesty. Jesus is the one that gives us transparency. These aren't things that we can produce on our own. You and I have that tendency to want to twist things and share things. That's why the fish that you caught that was this was now this. Come on, Montanans. We, we love to embellish. We love to tell a good story. We love all those things. Jesus is the one that checks our heart. Jesus is the one that gives us what we need. These are the things, the words in our mouth, these are the things that are included in his righteousness. In his light, he shines in and through us. So don't block what Jesus has given to us with fear. If my approval and acceptance and everything I need comes from Jesus, if I lack nothing in the name of Jesus, then I should be able to be completely honest and truthful with everyone because I'm not seeking their approval or acceptance or their love. I'm not saying you go out and be mean to people. That's not at all what Paul says. So don't be, I'm just being truthful. (laughs) He says your words should build up. Our words need to give grace. Our words lift other people to Jesus. Isn't that what he's called us to do? So don't fear it. Live by the Spirit. Speak from the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. We are going to continue to see time and time again in, the, in God's Word, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to speak to the heart. You shouldn't have to pinky promise anything if you are truthful and honest all the time. Because people aren't going to say, are you sure about that? They're not going to say, here's a Bible, put your hand on it. Isn't that what God's people should be? Christ's children? That when we say something, people go, I believe you. I believe you. Because you've always been honest with me. You've always told me the truth. And I know that Christ is living in you. What kind of witness is that? Amazing. Amazing. Let's put off our old self, put on our new self, and let's live 
in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are sorry where we have not been honest. Whether we haven't been honest with ourselves, we haven't been honest with you, we haven't been honest with other people. Lord, we have been blocked, blocking your integrity and honesty with, with fear, thinking that people aren't going to accept me, people that, that are, they're going to take my stuff and they're going to share it and, 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 and gossip it. And Lord, that is, that's on us as, as other Christians, that if someone shares what's going on in their life, that we would not take it and run with it and talk about it. But instead, we'd lift them up, that we'd build each other up, that our words would be full of grace, that we would be kind to one another, that we'd be tender-hearted with one another, that we would forgive one another as you in Christ forgave us. So Lord, some of us need a, not just soap in the mouth. <laughs> we need to receive this new life that you've given to us and believe that it's there. Lord, our, our flesh sometimes thinks that we need to go back and believe the lies that the enemy has told us that we lack everything and we need approval from everyone and it's gonna, we're going to have the temptation to want to go back to that and try to, try to live our old life. May your spirit fill us so full that we would not grieve it and think that we are back there. But in the name of Jesus, may we stand firm on the truth and on the rock of your word that you are giving us everything we need. That we would put on the new self created after the likeness of you in true righteousness and holiness. May we not fear it, but may we live by the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.